Well, good morning, everyone. Boy, we're uh, <clears throat> we're gonna have to work on that a little bit here. Good morning, everyone. All right, Emmanuel, we got to get up to speed here a little bit. Uh, turn to the person next to you and say, "Wake up." There we go. <laughs> hey, uh, today. Uh, I'm going to dive into my message in just a few moments where our service order is a little bit different today. You might notice that I'm up here a little bit uh, earlier than I usually am on a Sunday morning. And that's because at the end of our service, we're going to have a time to anoint everyone uh, related to your Mondays, your assignment that God has given you. I've seen many people with uh, work uniforms and uh, the outfits that you wear, the school uh, outfits that perhaps you wear or in the home and um, maybe you're taking care of kids at home and you're wearing right now what you would ordinarily wear on a Monday. So uh, that represents a life outside of here. And that's really what we're about as a church is that we believe that God isn't just here for us on uh, service times, but how many know he wants to be a part of every part of your life, amen? And before we get into the, the message, today's uh, message though, I, I wanna pause and call us to pray as a church for two very important things. The first is just the need uh, around the world that just is so overwhelming right now. It's very difficult to turn on the news and not think about, man, it was just one week ago we were just grappling with the loss in Houston and the South Texas area and the devastation is there. And now turn on the news and today uh, Irma has worked its way through the Caribbean and there's many islands that are in devastation now and it's our, right now over Florida. And uh, I know many of us have friends and family that are in Florida or perhaps in the Caribbean or, um, or other parts of the, in the West Coast. They've got fires that are going on in the Northwest that are out of control. And at times it can feel like, well, um, I don't know what to do. And I just want to challenge you to not leave anxiety in your heart or in your head. It's the worst place for it to live. Because then it tips into every other part of your life. You get into a downer mode with everybody around you. You're not breathing. And you're not even in the fire or in the hurricane. And now you find yourself being destroyed by it. But what you can do, and the church does, and it's biblical, is we can call upon God to answer things that are beyond us, things that are outside of our control. And I've heard some people say that aren't believers, well, praying does nothing. And I would argue with them that praying does everything. And uh, I have seen it in my own life and I've seen it in other people's lives. And I just want to call us to pray for all of the big picture and the 30,000 foot view all the way down to the micro level of rescue workers and people coming in for cleanup and um, you know, somebody who's stuck and they need somebody to get them out of a dangerous situation and an earthquake in Mexico or whatever it may be. And, and God would guide the rescue workers to the right place to see somebody, you know, to pray that way that God would help them. And, and then secondly, uh, we have a transition going on in uh, some of our church uh, pastoral team. Uh, pastor Aaron and Jen Gruber, our lead kids pastors, are transitioning and they've accepted a role at another church in Princeton, Minnesota. It's a, a Summers of God sister church. And they're going to be uh, taking leadership there. They have two more weeks with us here at Emmanuel. And I am privileged to have partnered with Pastor Aaron throughout the transition process. 
There's nothing bad going on. They felt the tug, the whisper I've been preaching about, uh, listening to the whisper of God, and God has led them to another church, and we're in a good place. We've got great, we've got three full-time kids pastors here at the church still, and then we're gonna go through the transition, but I wanna pray that God calms our hearts, gets us ready for the next step, and that God would take care of Pastor Aaron and Jen, amen, and their kids, and God would help us. Would you stand with me as we pray? Hallelujah. We're going to pray together. Just put a hand on the shoulder of the person next to you if you can. We're just going to pray this and believe it together. Father, we come before your throne knowing that you know us better than we know ourselves, knowing that you know situations better than we do. You know our friends and our family members and people that are right in the direct impact of that hurricane right now. And we pray, God, that you'd literally blow that hurricane into the west back into the Gulf, Lord, away from landfall, away from Tampa, away from Fort Myers and that. I just pray, God, that you just gently move it away and let it dissipate and not hit any other places. We pray, God, that you would help all the rescue work that needs to be taking place right now, whether it be uh, in Mexico and the devastation of the recent eight uh, earthquake or it be with uh, the hurricane um, aftermath, Lord, in South Texas and in the Caribbean and soon in Florida. We pray, God, that you just direct workers, that you direct rescue people and everything would function together. And I pray that you'd keep the devil from getting victory out of it. Pray, Lord, that you would surround the saints, the churches, and the people in the communities and we pray God you lift them up and you give them great courage in the middle of the storm you would join them in the storm and, and that you give them faith and overcoming sense of optimism God that you're going to be with them and then we pray God that there would be uh, just an assistance there as well with the fires in the northwest we pray God you should end it end the destruction send some rain Lord do whatever you got to do we pray that you would do that in Jesus name and then we pray Lord for our own transition here at church with Pastor Aaron and Jan, we pray, God, that you continue to anoint them and bless them. and God, help them get ready for the next step that they've got. Help them as they get ready to hand a baton off, that, that Lord, that they would feel good about the ending, and we'll send them in here in a couple of weeks, but we pray that you just help them through the process. We pray for all the rest of the staff and the leadership and the volunteers and the kids in our church, and God, our best days are ahead of us, not behind us, so we pray, God, that you get us ready for what you have in the future. In Jesus' name, and everybody said, Amen, amen, amen. You can go ahead and grab a seat. By the way, we do this every Wednesday night in our prayer service. And if you haven't been to a prayer service yet, every Wednesday we're praying for needs around the world, missionaries. We're praying for local needs. We're praying for people. We take those prayer cards that are in the seat behind, in front of you. And uh, we actually pray over there uh, on Wednesday night. And so prayer is a big deal here at the church. And I want to encourage you to continue to be a prayer. All right. Thank God it's Monday, part four. The title of today's message is, I am anointed. Now, this isn't about Pastor Nate being anointed. It's about you being anointed. And uh, in fact, turn to the person next to you and say, you are anointed. <laughs> See, as we've, I've been encouraging you to consider that there is a theology of work Meaning, God is interested in your life outside the sanctuary. That your partnership and relationship with God is not just one of him forgiving you of your sins and covering you with his grace, although we could stop right now and have a praise party over that. 
But it's also about the purposes that he has for us in our assignments the rest of the week. So whether you're a stay-at-home parent, a retiree, a middle schooler, high schooler, college student, or you are a business person or a teacher, no matter what your assignment is, God is interested in that part of your life. And we can know God in our work. We can know God in those places. It's a theology of work. And as we understand the gifts that he gives us, we move from having to do it Oh, I can't believe I got to go to school today. Oh, I can't believe I got to go to work today. To getting to go. I can't believe I get to go where God wants me to be today. I don't know what he has for me there, but I'm excited to get there. And I can make the most of the opportunity that he's given us. And of course, last week, we looked at Matthew 25 and where Jesus had the parable that he spun, the story that he shared about how each was given a different amount of talent and gifts and money, and we are to invest what he gives us to make the most out of it. The worst thing you can do is to not grow in what God has assigned you to do. You should become the best employee you could possibly be. You should become the best student you could possibly be because the Lord is looking at you and he's looking for a return on the investment that he's made in your life. And by the way, when you are in a process of growth and you're changing, you're chasing what God has for you, it's the most exciting kind of life to live. Nobody wants to be Eeyore all the time. Hello. Well, you know. I guess I have to go today. That's not what God wants us to be. He wants us to say, I'm more than a conqueror. I'm an overcomer through Jesus Christ who loved me. And we can declare his blessing to the world that's around us. And so there's a declaration that we gave out on the first week in the the little... uh, bookmark that we handed out, and it'll be on the screen. I want you to say it out loud. This is what we can declare over our workplace, over our school, and the places that we go. Here we go. You ready? I declare God's favor and success over my workplace, God's blessing over my boss and co-workers, that this will be a place of joy, peace, and unity. I declare safety and health for employees and their family members, that my workplace will value what God values. And so you are secretly on assignment saying it, not getting on the speaker system saying, I declare, you know, to the entire school, and then you get kicked out because you hijacked the mic. But it's just something that we just declare in the spirit. We declare it every day, and I can't wait to hear what God does in keeping your place safe. And I just believe that God will do that, amen? So as we move into today, I want to, I want to drop a thought in, and I want to carry that through the Old Testament into the New Testament. The thought is this. When God begins to move in Scripture with individuals, he begins with a commissioning. So with Abraham in Genesis, you will see this grand story of the father of faith. And God goes after Abraham And Abraham only understood who he was according to his training. Most likely his father did what he did. And so children did whatever their parents did, and it was generational. And God whispers to Abraham, and he says, go. Come go to this distant land, and I will make you a father of many nations. Now Abraham did not know 
what that meant. At the time, he was called Abram. Abram didn't know what that meant, but he, by faith, began to follow that initial moment, and God declared at the moment that he called him that he would make of him something. He commissioned him to be the father of many nations. But on the journey, that journey for Abram, had a lot of highs and lows as he discovered God's voice and lived in his calling, if you will. And he lived up to it. He was in his 40s and he still didn't have that son. I'm sure he was questioning. He was in his 80s and he still didn't have that son. He, he was probably questioning it. But he learned to trust in the voice, that commissioning that God had given him. A commission is the act of committing or entrusting a person or group with supervisory power or authority. It's an authoritative order, a charge or a direction. It's an authority granted for a particular action or function. It's the beginning point and it establishes that this person is a person of authority. Now today, we have lots of opinions out there. How many of you have gone on social media and seen somebody else's opinion lately? Everybody's got an opinion about something, but does that mean we need to listen to everybody's opinion, that they have authority in our life? No, we shouldn't listen to anybody or let anybody speak in your life, but it does matter who is saying it. There's a big difference in somebody telling me that they didn't like how I preached and my wife telling me that she didn't like what I preached. How many know there's a big difference? There's a big difference from somebody telling you that you need to slow down while you're driving and the lights that are going on in your rear view mirror telling you you need to slow down. Hello. Okay. Who gives that authority? Who releases you to do what? When I received my, my college degree, I remember my... my uh, my first college degree, I got a master's degree as well, but in my, my undergraduate degree, I was handed a diploma from the president of North Central University at the time was Don Argue. And it meant something to me that the president was handing it to me. His name was on the bottom of the document. You know, if I just went online and I got some made up college degree, how many know it didn't, my degree wouldn't have authority in other arenas. It makes a difference who it is that gives you that authority. Your supervisor's opinion has more cred than your peer's opinion, or it should. Your teacher giving you permission to get out of class is different than another student saying it's okay to skip class. And in the Bible, you need to understand that when God speaks, he has authority. And when he commissions it, it's not just another voice. It's the ultimate authority stamping something on somebody's life. When Abraham received the call and the commission from God, it was the God of the universe. And the enemy might have tried to lie to Abram, might have said, hey, that's not a worthwhile, a trustworthy voice over your life, but it didn't have the impact on Abraham. He became the father of faith because he finished the race and lived up to that authority that God had on his life. You see other voices like Moses. Moses is this murderer who goes on the run for his life. He's outside of the country 
He's living under assumed name. He's on the FBI's most wanted list. And he goes and he, he spends his time taking care of sheep. He's hidden in the hills. And God interrupts one of his journeys in the hills and the mountain. And he speaks, God does, out of a bush. And God speaks to Moses. And Moses realizes, uh-oh, that doesn't ordinarily happen. And God begins to say to Moses, I need you because I've been hearing the cries of the people in Egypt who are under slavery and I want my people to be set free and I'm calling you, Moses, to be the leader. And Moses, like many of us, paused and he, and he simply just said, can't you pick somebody else? How many ever wish that God would have picked somebody other than you for whatever your assignment was? He says, I can't talk, I don't have the skills. And he looked at himself and there's no way I can do it. And so God is patient with him and he leads him through a process where eventually God uses whatever Moses had. He had a staff in his hand and said, throw that staff down and the staff became a snake and then God tells him to pick it back up and he did and it went back to being a staff. And that staff became a reminder to Moses that God had commissioned him to be the leader because there were many times that he would forget that he was the leader of that nation. There were many voices that would question his authority, but he could always go back to that one moment where the staff was there and the bush was speaking and God was getting a hold of him. There was a commissioning moment for him. I love the story of Exodus 31. If you'd turn there in your Bible, we did it a couple weeks ago. This guy named Bezalel, he's like this hero to me, especially for this series, because so many times the heroes in the scripture are these spiritual people who are preaching messages and declaring leadership for a nation or their kings, and it seems so far out of our domain when you see in a guy like Bezalel who's simply a construction guy. He's a builder. He's a creator. He's, a, he's got talents and he's got gifts, but they're not in the church. They're gifts outside the church as most of us are. And he is used of God. And if you look at Exodus 31 verse 1, it says, then the Lord said to Moses, look, I have specifically chosen Bezalel, son of Uri, grandson of Hur, the tribe of Judah. I have filled him with the spirit of God giving him great wisdom, ability, and expertise in all kinds of crafts. He is a master craftsman, expert in working with gold and silver and bronze. He is skilled in engraving and mounting gemstones and in carving wood. He's a master at every craft. You know, the greatest thing about this whole little passage is God fills Bezalel with his spirit on the job. This isn't like, hey, this is a big moment in church and you can get filled with the Spirit in church. Friends, I hope you get filled with the Spirit every time you walk in the doors here. I'm not saying. I'm saying, though, there's an even greater opportunity on your Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday for God's Spirit to fill you when you go to your job or you're taking care of whoever you're taking care of on your assignment or you're in a season of retirement or you're in school. God can fill you with the Spirit of God on the job wherever you are. This is the moment. I don't know about you, but I dream of this for our church. I dream of people that are full of the Spirit 
not just in church, but as you do your duties as a, an accountant at the job, or you're flipping hamburgers, or you're leading a business, or you're overseeing employees, or whatever it is your responsibilities as you're a servant taking care of other people, I dream of you being a person filled with the Spirit of God. Whatever your assignment, may we all desire God's spirit to give us what Bezalel got. Did you see what he got? What did God give him? It says he gave him great wisdom and ability and expertise in all kinds of crafts. You can receive wisdom and ability in things outside of the church walls. You can become excellent at fundraising. You can become excellent at guiding other people. You can become an incredible computer programmer. You can be used of God to know how to teach little children in a public school in an excellent way. You can improve your skills and God will join you on the job. He will help you. I want you to say this with me, it'll be on the screen. Say, I have God-given ability to fulfill my mission. Say it again. I have God-given ability to fulfill my mission. Turn to the person next to you and say, you have God-given ability to fulfill your mission. Come on, somebody. You do. There is a partnership with God that enables us to do what he's designed us to do. There's also the beginning point of a story that authorizes everything that we do. That's the commissioning. And when it turns the corner and the people of God have now inhabited Israel geographically, they decide that they want a king. And the king would become anointed. That's a, a term that you may have heard in the church world. But simply an anointing with oil was something that was common in culture and it was for two different things. Generically, oil was used with uh, hospitality. When somebody would come over to your house in a desert region, uh, they would come out of dry air and everything would be dry. And they may anoint you like lotion on the hands to dry you, uh, to, to soften your dry hands. They give you oil and they anoint you. It could be like, and how many of you have ever had Carmex or Blistec or I'm trying to think of, you know, the stuff that you put on your lips when they start drying out. You, you put that stuff on and it's, it's kind of an anointing. It was a natural practice that everybody did. But in the context of the scripture and with great leaders in the Old Testament, you will see that prophets were uh, called to identify who the king would be. The people had all, in a sense, voted on or believed in King Saul as the first Saul. And Samuel comes along in 1 Samuel and he anoints Saul in front of all of the people. That anointing process was one that was symbolic to show all the people, not only is this guy gifted with the talent to lead, not only does he have the skill set of leadership, but the anointing represented the spirit of God is also on that king to enable him to partner with heaven. He has heaven's authority behind him as he is anointed. That's what the anointing was for kings. Unfortunately, you can lose that aspect of authority 
by going outside of God's plan for your life. Saul, what he did is he led the nation, called upon God, but God told him to do something. And when God, when Samuel, or excuse me, Saul did not do what God had told him to do, then God removed the anointing, okay? He removed the authority, if you will, the stamp of God being behind him. Now, he got to still operate for a number of years as the king, but what God did is he sent Samuel the prophet to go to the next king and get him ready. So he goes and he anoints the next king, David, who's out in the field, 1 Samuel chapter 16. It's a great passage of scripture if you ever studied it, because there God identifies the most unlikely person, They've gone through all of his older brothers. Finally, Samuel goes, is there anybody else? And yes, of course there is. And it's David out in the field. And they bring David in. And then the prophet anoints him with oil, declaring the authority of heaven that he would be a king. Even though he did not become the king of the nation for another 20 years or so. Now this is one you catch. You can get the commissioning, the anointing moment from God. You can have the dreams from God. You can have a sense of what God dropped in your heart, but sometimes it's a not yet. You can have the authority from heaven. It will come true, but like Abraham or like David, you may have to go a number of years before you see the ultimate end of the movie story. So you have a process from the anointing to that moment, all the way from now until the day that the dream comes true and the movie comes out, you can know this, God will be with you the whole way. So that when you go through your life and you feel like you're being overwhelmed and you begin to doubt whether or not what God says is what God said, you need to remember your commissioning moment so that you can recall like Moses, Yes, I've got the Egyptian army behind me and the Red Sea is in front of me, but I have a staff in my hand that reminds me God is with me and I can hold it out and know he will split the Red Sea. Come on, somebody. So that anointing moment signified the authority of God and the protective leadership of God with the king as he performed his responsibilities. I love David, King David, because in his life, anointing was not restricted to being in the position that he wanted to be in. He sang out in the field while he was taking care of the sheep, and he sang when he was in the palace, and he sang when he was in battle, and he sang when he had messed up and he had to confess his sin. There was a connection between him and God, and he would declare things to God about God giving him assistance in the jobs that he was called to do. Things like in Psalm 18, he says, you light a lamp for me. The Lord, God, my God, lights up my darkness. In your strength, I can crush an army. With my God, I can scale any wall. God's way is perfect. All the Lord's promises prove true. He is a shield for all who look to him for protection. For who is God except the Lord? Who but our God is a solid rock. God arms me with strength and he makes my way perfect. He makes me sure-footed as a deer, enabling me to stand on mountain heights. He trains my hands for battle. He strengthens my arm to draw a 
bronze bow. You have given me your shield of victory. Your right hand supports me. Your help has made me great. What is he singing about? He's saying, Lord, you have helped me when I'm taking that physics test. You are enabling me to recall things which I've studied. I wish you would go and just put things in my head that I haven't studied. But you're enabling me to succeed in what you've called me. Lord, I've never had a baby in our home before, but the first one came home and she's crying through the middle of the night and I don't know what to do and I know you're helping me become a good mom. You're shaping me and preparing me. Lord, I'm in a season where I've started a business and I don't know what the next thing is to do and I've got these employees and HR and and health insurance issues and all of those kind of things, but you're enabling me and giving me wisdom to figure out how to do it and you're using everything together so that my hands are shaped. Lord, you put a hammer in my hand and I have a capacity to, to nail things together as a carpenter as I build and I believe you're with me while I'm on the job and somehow you're making my pathway straight are you hearing what I'm saying today he is with us and we can sing to God in our work just as much as we can sing somebody else's song on the screen on Sunday morning. I think your song at work, your song at school, your song at home is so much more beautiful to God some days when you're alone and you recognize it's me and my Savior. We're in this thing together. Psalm 23, one of the great psalms that even those that aren't followers of Jesus often quote, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall Okay, I shall not want. It starts talking about this process, David, is about going through things. And you get to verse five and he says, you prepare a feast for me in the presence of my enemies. You honor me by anointing my head with oil. My cup overflows with blessings. Surely your goodness and unfailing love will pursue me all the days of my life and I will live in the house of the Lord forever. You anoint my head with oil. I think we need him to anoint our head with oil every day because there's a whole lot of things going at our heads. Hello. And I'm not talking just about construction workers in here that wear your hard hats on the job. I'm also talking about all those thoughts that are trying to come at our head. All those other ways that the enemy's trying to get us. And we aren't gonna let Pharaoh get back in our head, hello. We're not gonna allow that stuff back, but we need him to anoint our head with oil. Now, as, as we move forward in the Old Testament, as time moves forward, you discover that the prophets begin to speak about things to come. And of course, they were speaking judgments against Israel and they were talking about repentance and how God was expecting it from Israel because they had done the wrong thing and they are now in exile. And then God began to declare that they would come home. But eventually, the prophets all began to speak about a future leader who would be the capital A anointed one, the Messiah. They were speaking of this figure that we now know is Jesus, but they were talking about a Messiah who would come and that Messiah would change everything. His anointing 
would break every yoke. His anointing would change every life. He would have leadership on him. And of course, when Jesus shows up, he of course is the Messiah. He lives 30 years of his life, but undercover. Nobody knows about him. And then the time comes when he begins to declare who he already knew he was. When he quoted from Isaiah and read from Isaiah chapter 61, and he read it, and you can find it in Luke chapter 4. As he reads from Luke, from uh, Isaiah 61, this is what he says, verse 18 of Luke 4. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me. Say that with me. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me. Jesus is making a declaration as he reads this. For he has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim that captives will be released, that the blind will see and that the oppressed will be set free, and that the time of the Lord's favor has come. He rolled up the scroll, handed it back to the attendant, sat down, and all the eyes of the synagogue looked at him intently. Then he began to speak to them. The scripture you've just heard has been fulfilled this very day. He was throwing a stake down and saying, I am that guy. I am the anointed one. He's saying the spirit of the Lord is on me. He was saying, I am anointed. I have been empowered and authorized to bring good news to the poor, to proclaim freedom to captives. The blind will see, oppressed will be set free, that the time of the Lord's favor has come. Jesus was saying, I'm anointed. He declared it. And friends, I want you to know something. Jesus waited to declare it out loud for the right time, but he was saying it not just for that generation, he was saying it for every generation that was to come. For every eye can look to him and find their freedom. Every prisoner can have their bars set free and get out of captivity because of Jesus. He still heals the blind. He still sets the prisoner free. He still declares this is the year of the Lord's favor. He was declaring it, but he was declaring it not just for that synagogue. He was declaring it for us. And he was declaring it in the face of the enemy. He was declaring it saying, I am, I know who I am. Nobody can deter me. I have the spirit of the Lord upon me and I can declare freedom. There was no equivocation about it. He knew who he was. This was real to him. Now I want you to hear me today because what Jesus did was not only for him, for as he lived on this earth, his entire plan was to go to the cross, to die for our sins, to be risen from the dead, and then he wanted the same thing that he did to happen to, to all who followed him, to have the same spirit on them. Jesus Christ, that word Christ is not Jesus' last name, friends. That word Christ means anointed one. Jesus Christ is the anointed one. And a Christian is a follower of Jesus who is anointed. A Christian is a follower of Jesus who is anointed. Nowadays in America, Christian can mean a hundred different things. It can mean you're behind a political group. It could mean that, that you have membership in a church, but it may not mean that you're an anointed one. An anointed follower of Jesus is a Christian because we have the anointing on us that he had on himself. And Jesus' plan was to model an anointed life for his disciples, and his succession plan was to spread his anointing on everyone who followed his mission.
In Acts chapter 1, we find Jesus after his resurrection talking to his disciples when he said, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you and you will be my witnesses telling people about me everywhere in Jerusalem, throughout Judea, Samaria, the ends of the earth. See, Jesus declares that the Spirit will come upon you, not just the Messiah, and that the Spirit commissions or anoints you everywhere. That it's not restricted to one location. And then you move into chapter two of Acts and you see that New Testament church that's birth, that's our birthday in Acts chapter two as the spirit is poured out and they were waiting and God begins to visit people and there's a wind in the room and there's tongues of fire resting on head and people know that they have met with God and there's this noise outside of the church and people outside begin to notice it. They notice something's going on and they're like, what's going on? Are you guys drunk? And Peter stands up and speaks to the crowd in verse 16. He says, no, what you see was predicted long ago by the prophet Joel. In the last days, God says, I will pour out my spirit on all people. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your young men will see visions and your old men will dream dreams. In those days, I will pour out my spirit, even on my servants, men and women alike, and they will prophesy. I love this moment because we are in 2018, but it is just as real for us today as it was when Peter said it to the crowd. It's a promise that everyone would receive what Jesus received. It's the anointing that's available for all of us. Even if you've got a history where you've messed it up, maybe you've done the wrong thing, I'm telling you today, if you bow your knee and repent and turn back to God, you can have the anointing on your life that Jesus had on his you have a future you have a hope mm. and when it says that the sons and the daughters would prophesy I want you to think not of an older person in the back of a church talking about apocalyptic things at the end of time or revelation I want you to think about the whole Bible because people that you're used in the prophetic were used in a different way, and prophecy is God-inspired speech, thinking, and actions. It's, it's speaking God-inspired things to the people in real time that you're around. It's speaking it in your native language. We have many people here that speak Spanish, so that for you may be your native language when you're talking to others. You can be God-inspired to speak in English. You can be God-inspired to speak in whatever your na native language is. And it's whatever God is wanting to do at the moment. But it's not restricted to words, it's also a life. Jesus lived a prophetic life. Everywhere that he went, he spent time with people and it was as if he didn't know what he was gonna do at the beginning of the day, but he would walk down the street and then he would go, Zacchaeus, I've gotta to come to your house. Or a woman would touch the hem of his garment and it was as if God had to touch that person at that moment. Or then he got in a boat and he went across the other side of the lake and God wanted to do things in the lake and he wanted to do things on the other side of the lake. He followed the prophetic leading of the spirit. That didn't mean he was some kind of weirdo. Prophecy is not weird. Prophecy is normal. If you understand that you're partnering with God every day and you give him access to help you with your God-inspired hearing so you hear and understand the people around you, 
And so you know what to say in the right moment. Jesus said to his disciples, you don't need to worry about what to say for the Spirit will help you know what to say when you get in the moment. Sometimes we get so worried that we're not perfect, that we don't have all the right words. But I want you to know you can have confidence in your Monday and your Tuesday and your Wednesday and your Thursday and your Friday and your Saturday if you are letting the prophetic work of God go through your life and you can be a God-inspired, anointed person on the job, in school, at home everywhere that you go can I get an amen I want to start preaching now what's going on I believe that God wants to give old people dreams old whatever that means to you I have a son that's a sophomore in high school I'm really old to him some of you I'm a young guy. Old is a matter of personal point of reference. But listen, listen, if you once had dreams and they're gone, the promise is the anointing of God. Would, he would give you new dreams, new dreams for your job, new dreams for your world, new dreams for your family that he would pour out on everyone. And by the way, why is he doing that? Because he wants us to have a God-inspired life. Matthew 5.13, Jesus says that you are the salt of the earth. You're the salt of the earth. In other words, you're anointed for your assignment. It's not just about you. It's about where you go. Some people are like, I don't want to go to my school. Why do I have to go to that school? And it may have nothing to do with you. It might have everything to do with the people that are there that God wants you to be salt with. That he wants you to be the light of the world to. He wants you not just to go and exist. He wants you to go and be anointed, to be the anointed one of God on the job. And I'm not saying everybody has to love Jesus and it's all like church where you go to school or where you go to work, but God can give you patience and he can give you loving kindness and he can give you wisdom in the right moment and at the right time, you will be able to give an answer for the hope that lies within you. But what hope do those places have in your neighborhood, in your school, in your work? What hope does your family have if you are not there? And what hope do they have if you're there and you're not living with his anointing? You are anointed for your assignment. There is a purpose for you on your Monday that requires an anointing of the Spirit. With the Spirit, you keep your character. God's long-term progress is Go on in your life and you become salt. And the enemy cannot stop the anointed ones. He can only try to get you to forget who you are. Let me say that again. The enemy can't stop the anointed ones. He can only try to get you to forget who you are. And I said, we need to say, the spirit of the Lord is upon me. Mm. I can be anointed by God for what he called me to do in the eighth grade. I can be anointed by God as a senior saint, even if I don't have the full use of my body. There is no expiration date on the anointing. We can walk away from it, but he is still available. And the daily anointing is what everybody can feel. Now I'm going to land the plane today because we're about to practice what I preached. God is going to use you to bring his kingdom intentions into your assignment. He's going to use you to bring his kingdom intentions into your assignment. He wants to go with you and be with you.
John 20, Jesus is talking to his disciples. He said, peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, so I am sending you. Then he breathed on them and said, receive the Holy Spirit. Today, we're going to have a moment where we're just thinking not about here. We're thinking about there. We're thinking about Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday. We're thinking about where we're going next, where we're going to be, who we're going to be with. And uh, I'm going to ask you in a moment to come. We'll have our prayer teams available. In fact, if our prayer teams could come right now, just be available, both on the balcony and the main floor. I'm going to ask everybody to come. And uh, you'll go out the aisle on your right, come to the front. Somebody up front will anoint you in the name of Jesus. There's not gonna be a long, weird prayer. Just anointing in the name of Jesus. And, uh, and as they come, and we're gonna need some more people this way. We're, we've got three people here and about 50 over here. Um, And basically, all I want you to do is go, I'm representing where God has assigned me, and I want his anointing on my life. Don't you guys love this? Come on now. An anointed rescue worker. We got lab coats. We got all kinds of things in here today. But we are going to be, we're going to just believe in your field, where God has led you to be. We got people on the back of the balcony that are also available. They're going to anoint you. And when you do, I just want you to come up and go, receive that commissioning moment, go back to your seat, and then we're gonna pray together, and I'm gonna let this be our burning bush moment, if you will. This is our staff that we carry with us, that God is gonna be with us wherever we go. So why don't you stand with me today? Just go ahead and stand. And uh, as we worship and we sing, it might take a couple minutes to get through this, but I want you to go out to your right, come down the aisle, just receive that anointing, go back up the opposite aisle on the other side, your left, and go back to your seat, and we'll give an opportunity for God to do what only he can do.